Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God, I'm so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of this last day, and I sure hope that you came here not to be entertained, but to hear the word of the Lord. Not that it's my word, but I read all my scripture, in case you didn't know this, and you're just, maybe this is your first time tuning in, but it's verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all the way through the Bible. I teach very rarely, I just teach topically, uh, very rarely, I just mostly, just we, we start in one book, and we f- go through that book, and we finish that book, and then we move on to another book, and I don't skip any verse, and I don't gloss anything over, and if there's a seeming contradiction, I even tackle that as well, too. So anyway... Hope you didn't come here to be entertained, because we're not supposed to be in church to be entertained. We're supposed to be here to seek God and to hear God's voice. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I'd surely appreciate it. And let's ask God to help us understand His Word, for we know that the Word of God says that we can only understand the Word of God by the the Spirit of God. So Lord, we just uh, come before you, Lord, humble. Lord, because we know that Lord, well, I know, Lord, I hope those that are listening to me know too, Lord, as well, Lord, that we, we cannot... We cannot understand the things of you without you helping us understand the things of you, Lord God, because it's just impossible. We are flesh, Lord, and you are spirit, dear God. And Lord, you seek those to worship you in spirit and truth, Lord, but you have to help us understand your word by your Holy Spirit. So we ask you to do that today, Lord God. I ask you to help us understand your word here in this house in McKinney, Texas. And I also ask you to help us understand your word, Lord God, throughout the whole world, wherever this message may reach to Lord God, from SoundCloud and YouTube or wherever you put it out there, Lord God. We thank you, we love you, and we praise you. And we ask, of course, I ask, of course, in this place and around the world, Lord, you'd be glorified. Lord, you'd be glorified and and your name would would be lifted up above every name, Lord God, every day. Thank you so much for this opportunity to teach, Lord, for your word. And and thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity, Lord, to, to sow some more seeds today for you. We love you, praise you, and ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So you guys can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, where we're going to continue to progress on. Today we're going to be in verses 9 through 29. We're going to cover a pretty big chunk today in Scripture, but I'm not going to teach them over or read them over or anything until I give my thoughts from last week's message, the reward of his great faith and reverent fear of God. Last week we saw the great faithfulness of God to respond to the seeker Cornelius as he, uh, Cornelius that is, did not ignore the evidences that God had given of himself in all creation to, as I mentioned last week, as I taught a bunch last week, to draw all humanity to himself. And he, Cornelius that is, did not ignore how God caused him to be born in a certain place and time. And God's hope that he and all mankind, Cornelius and all mankind, all of us, would seek and grope for him, Acts chapter 17, and Cornelius worshiped God Almighty, the one and only true creator of heaven and earth and all the universe. And because God saw this, because we know 2 Chronicles 16.9 tells us his eyes are going all over the world looking for people whose hearts are strong for him. Uh, At all times, I will say that. And, And since God saw his heart and how he long to you know to know him and worship him and all that good stuff god saw cornelius and god was glad to reveal himself to him god is looking if he's looking for people's hearts to do that when he finds one that is don't you think he's going to be happy 
Absolutely. God Almighty was even glad to reveal the beginning of the plan of salvation to him. Remember, having him call Peter. Right? Hey, call Peter and then whatever he tells you, do. Well, we know what Peter's message is. Peter's message wasn't good works or, or, or you know, you can do it on your own. Peter's message was Christ Jesus and the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. Notice Cornelius did not save himself in Christ or get himself on the path. God laid it out for him. John 6.44 tells us that no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up that last day. But Cornelius did respond to the basic knowledge that God gave of himself to everyone in all creation, as Roman 1 tells us. And God honored him with the gifts of, number one, revealing himself to him and started him on the path, calling Peter to get him to the correct path of Jesus Christ, which is the only way that anybody can be saved. And when that one seeker, when that one seeker comes to God, when that just that one, and he, and he's, and he, and he responds, and, and, and God's eyes see him, did you know that when he does, God throws a party in heaven? Him and all the angels, I don't know if you know that, every, every time a sinner or someone who is apart from God Almighty responds to his draw and his call, he allows them to come to repentance to life because he finds them a candidate for receiving a relationship with him and there is a party in heaven. Jesus Christ, Luke 15, 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Well, that's kind of a that's kind of like an oxymoron. There is no one that is in need of no repentance. So what Jesus is saying there is he'll go wherever it takes to look for the one who realizes who's not being prideful, who's not suppressing the truth of God, who realizes that they need God, and he'll go to that one and he'll skip over 99 people that think that they're just because there's nobody just. Nobody. Not you, not me. Isaiah tells us that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we're only holy and we're only become holy in Christ. Actually, we only become righteous in Christ. So God passes over 99 people who think, who think that they're holy for the one that says, I need God. I need God. And then he comes, he reveals himself. That person, of course, they've been longing for that. So then they have a party in heaven because... He turns. Praise God for His mercy towards sinners. If if we would just stop shutting our eyes and closing our ears, and we'd actually grope for Him, and we'd actually grope for Him, He would call us and choose us for salvation. Wow. Praise God. Anyway, let's move on to our new sermon, shall we? God has shown me the title now. It's kind of a long one. God has shown me that I should call, that I should not call anyone unclean. God has shown me that I should not call anyone unclean. It comes right out of Scripture, as often God gives me my titles right out of Scripture. So if you want to read Acts Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 29 with me, please, and let's see what God has to say to us today. Chapter 10, verse 9 says this. Continuing on, now, of course, we know that God, we left off with Cornelius, and, you know, he Go send your people to go get him and all that good stuff. So verse 9 says this. The next day, as they went on their journey, they drew near the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while while they made ready, I should say, he fell into a trance 
and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending on him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And, and the voice came to him, or and a voice came to him, verse 13, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Notice that capital L there. He, noticed, he knew that was God. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had gathered and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or go in to one of another nation. But God has shown me. That I should call, that I should not call any man common or unclean. It's where we get our title of today's sermon. Again, God has shown me that I should not call anyone unclean. So Cornelius gets the revelation of God Almighty, right? He's seeking God, worshiping God, praying to God. He gets the revelation of God Almighty. God Almighty starts uh, starts him on the right path toward Jesus Christ because we know there's no no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Cornelius sends his men, his servants, to go get Peter. And that's where we find ourselves opening up our message for today. That first part of verse 9 again, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city. The next day, Cornelius' men are almost to Peter's dwelling where he's staying with Simon the Tanner, remember. And remember, uh, they came to get him and bring him back to Cornelius' house. Well, what is God doing in Peter's life, and how's God preparing Peter while Cornelius' Gentile servants are coming to get him? Does God give Peter days, weeks, or even months of advance notice and preparation, plainly and simply telling him that he'll be going to a Gentile's house to give him the news about Jesus Christ? Well, remember the first part of verse 9, it was the next day, and these guys are basically just outside the city, so very near to Simon Tanner's house. Look at the rest of verse 9, verse 16. I'm just going to teach through it as we go uh, pick it up there. Peter went on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Well, this was, we know from their Jewish time, this was about 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the second time that the Jews had their prayer time of the day, verse 10. Then he became very hungry and he wanted to eat. Well, you ought to expect, I don't know who's 
great idea it was to make a prayer time for the Jews right in the middle of lunchtime because you got to know when it's lunchtime, you're going to go pray, you're going to get hungry. So what happens? Well, he becomes hungry and he wants to eat. Uh, so while they made ready, he kind of maybe probably called down to him, hey guys, I'm hungry, you know, can I get some food? While they made ready, he fell into a trance. Do you see God starting to work here? Do you see it? We don't read about any other time before this, but we see God starting to work here now. Verse 11. And he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. Verse 12. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. So a sheet, maybe a bed sheet or maybe like a tarp or something coming down from heaven. What a sight. This must have been, right? I mean, what a powerful sight. Just this sheet with all these animals coming in. And, and the sheet the sheet itself would have been powerful, right? Like, wow, what is that? But then in it, you see all kinds of animals that, you know, that God said in Leviticus that you're not supposed to touch. You know, these animals, hey, you're not supposed to touch them. You're not supposed to eat them. You know, uh, that, that was, it was both shocking and, and, and a kind of a bit of awe for Peter. I could see all at the same time. Now, unclean, or the Greek word there is, a car, I'm, I'm trying to get it right now. I'm, I'm trying to get it right. I'm not really that good at speaking these Greek words, but it's akatharthos. Akatharthos. And that's the Greek word there for unclean. And it's defined in this entire section of scripture to be this. So this is going to set the precedent for the whole rest of the idea of this message and the whole idea of what God's message is here to Peter and what God's message is here to all God's children to this day, right? In a ceremonial sense, this unclean word here meant that which must be abstained from according to the Levitical law. And I'll show you that kind of as we go on, where if you remember, I just read over the scripture, Peter just says, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with those that are not of his race. Well, okay, Jews thought all these people, all other Gentile peoples of the world were unclean. And of course, that's where we get that kind of contextual. There's about three definitions there for that word unclean. But the whole one that's going to set the whole precedent, that which would be abstained from according to the Levitical law. So unclean biblically, according to the law of God and how he taught them to think of it and act towards things that were unclean was this. Don't touch it. It's vile. It's disgusting. It, it was sinful. In, in, in a sense, if you want a definition, it was pig or swine was unclean to the Jewish nation. That was, they were unclean, right? Well, unclean would fit this in this thing here, uh, uh, that which would, must be abstained from according to the Levitical law. So think of a pig, a swine, unclean. It was sinful to even have a swine or a pig in Israel at all. At period the end, right? Uh, so also as it was to stay away from a woman that was in her impurity. The same thing. The, 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 there's a book that my wife had. I don't know if she still has it, but it was called, I believe, The Red Tent. And, and in the book, they talked about how women in their impurity in Jesus' day, they had to actually go by themselves and go into a tent and they couldn't be around humanity. They had to basically be by themselves because the Bible called them unclean while they were in their impurity in this kind of tent. So basically, women, swine, were treated in that time, Jewish women, I should say, not anybody, just Jewish women, pigs, swine, were treated as a vile thing. That's just what they were. That's what the word means, unclean, and that's how God saw it, and that's how people were to take it in God's word when God gave that, that, uh, that, that idea. 
That, defini- uh, that definition, again, is key to understanding the whole section of Scripture and the tremendous point that God's making to Peter and all of God's children. Again, look at verse 13. But a voice comes to Peter after he sees this great sight, right? This great sheet and all these unclean animals in it. Then verse 13, and a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, in the context that God is showing Peter these unclean animals in the sheet and God telling him to rise up, kill and eat, he's not referring to him actually eating these unclean animals. This was just an analogy. Uh, You'll see as we go on, but I'm just setting you up for a huge point that I'm going to make in this text because it is a huge point that needs to be made because there's a there's a whole bunch of people in our world today that kind of don't just don't get this section of scripture. They just don't understand this idea that Christ laid down in Mark 7, 19. Uh, So, again, God is not telling Peter to actually eat these unclean animals. Again, this was just an analogy. But if he was telling Peter, hey, Peter, it's okay, go out. Go and eat those animals. It's okay. If he were telling Peter to do that, would God do that to break his Old Testament word that he gave in Leviticus? Well, in this case, actually, yes. Because according to God Almighty, given the authority to Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus spoke of this new rule of, hey, anybody can eat anything, in Mark 17, 9, where he declared all foods clean. Because he said what really defiles a man is not which the food which we eat, but it's the things that come out of a person's mouth because those things come from your heart, right? And, and, And God looks at our hearts and what's coming out of our hearts? What are we allowing to come out of our hearts? Are we allowing filth and, 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 and evil speaking and hate, hateful words. And of course, Jesus said that's what really defiles a man, makes him unclean, not the fact that he eats an animal whom in that time period God considered unclean for the Jewish people. So understand, there's a whole bunch of people nowadays that look at this and go, oh, God still wants us to keep the Levitical law and not to eat certain foods. But really, that's just religion because Jesus Christ changed all that, right? After God changed the covenant with Jesus Christ's sacrifice of his blood that was shed, if Jews decided to eat them, according to what Jesus said, the foods were no longer sinful for them to eat, and they were not going to go against God's commands back that he gave under the old covenant back in Leviticus. But saying all that, Peter doesn't obviously remember Jesus Christ making that statement in Mark 7, or he just wasn't there for it. I don't know what, I went back and looked at the section, and we really don't see. Was Peter there? Was Peter there? Maybe, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. He doesn't remember, maybe he doesn't remember. Because look at his response to God for this vision. Because Peter's thinking, God's telling me, go eat all these unclean animals. No, look at verse 14. But Peter says, not so, Lord. <laughs> Never a good thing to tell God no. <laughs> Never really a good thing to tell God, no. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Uh, Peter is like, no way, God. No, God. Ooh, ouch. I'm not going to eat that unclean stuff. Uh, God, you said no (laughs) back in the law. You you said I wasn't supposed to eat that stuff. Uh, I, I can only say this just a handful of times. Little, 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 little children, babies, and then there's Peter. Most of the time that people are in disobedience, they're not very precious. But here, Peter is kind of precious. He's just kind of, just enjoy his heart here. He, he doesn't want to make God angry by breaking his old covenant law. But yet, in the moment, he, he must have not been thinking because he tells God no. Right? And God doesn't want to say, God, God wants to say, yes, Lord. 
whatever you want, Lord. Yes, your will, not mine, right? So, and again, Peter, although he, although he made God angry by saying no, he, he, he was such a, such a precious heart because he doesn't want to make God angry breaking his own law. Uh, but God doesn't give up. He, he's persistent, and, and I'm glad he is, right? Look at verse 15. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. God doesn't give up. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. What a powerful vision this must have been, right? Uh, but what exactly what was God saying to Peter and us? Do you know? Do you know? I know, but I'm, I'm just saying, do you know, right? Uh, well, even if Peter didn't know, which at the time, actually, he didn't. We'll see that. Look at the verse, uh, first part of verse 17. Now, why, while Peter wondered, and that word wondered, if you look to the definition, means perplexed. It means confused. Peter was like, what? What in the world are you saying, God? I don't get it. What? Eat unclean animals? Or your word said? And, and the Holy Spirit's probably going, yeah, knucklehead, but Jesus said it was okay. But, you know, he's, he's thinking of, he's looking at the written word, which it wasn't written yet. And Peter is just plain out perplexed and plain up confused. Uh, he, within him, he says, now, while Peter was or wondered or perplexed, he wondered within himself what the vision from God meant. So Peter was completely in the dark. Peter wasn't lost, right? Like you think of a lost person, well, they're in the darkness, they're in... He was saved, but in the case of this concept with God, what he was telling him in this vision, Peter was completely in the dark. Uh, so did God give him days, weeks, months, of advance notice, of preparation, and plainly and simply telling him that, that he was going to go to the Gentiles' house and preach the gospel and allow the Gentiles to start having free access to his grace through Jesus Christ? That that's a big negatory. That's a big negatory. He, he, he did not at all. God, God didn't give him any details of the sheet, of uh, nothing right then and there. Basically, God just put him in the fire. And it just, here we're going to learn now. This is what we're learning today, Peter. Uh, <laughs> he just was like, here you go. What? What are you talking? This was moments. Think of the guys are almost, the guys are downstairs, right? The guys are downstairs. Peter has no clue that God's gonna about to just open up the, the, the whole salvation to Gentiles, and Peter's in the dark, and he's in the moment. Does God still do this today with us? Yeah. You better believe he does. Absolutely he does. And, and I don't really like it. I'm just gonna be honest. I, I don't really like it. I wish God would just like prepare us for you know days and weeks and months. Oh yeah, Lord, I see that vision. Oh, I, I see it. Uh, yes, Lord. All right, oh that's okay, right? But he doesn't. And because he doesn't, even though I don't like it, what do I do? I trust him, right? And I just go with it. But Christians, be ready. Because he does the same thing with me. is the same thing with you. Why may God not have given Peter all the details of what he was going to do, even in the vision? And why does God still, to this day, because uh, he's still the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, why does he still kind of operate with us that way today? I mean, if you think about it, why doesn't God really lay it out for us and really tell it all what we're going to go through? I believe that many times that God's going to do something huge, which is usually when God decides to put you just right in the midst of it. He doesn't give you months, days, weeks. He just puts you in the midst of it. I think when God's going to do something huge like with Peter here, but he only maybe hints to us of it or just gives us small little details of the major plan, but not the whole plan. Uh, he does this uh, because if he gave us the whole plan, 
Christians, we wouldn't be able to handle it. We just wouldn't be able... What? You're going to do what? You're going to send me here and there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do this? And I, think we'd, I think we'd fall over and have heart attacks. I just don't think we'd be able to take it. The sacrifice, the pain, the suffering, the loss, which is usually what comes along with the God's plan because we've got to lose ourselves even more to do something big for God. Right? We've got to lay down ourselves completely and we're going we're gonna to go through all kinds of turmoil because God's trying to get us to a place that He wants us to be, but we're not ready to be to that place. And what happens when we're not ready to be to that place? Well, we don't generally want to go willfully. We're like, we're like stubborn mules, right? God wants us to go somewhere. We're like, I like it right here. I like it right where I'm at. And God says, no, no, we're not. But, so no, no preparation, because if we, if we had lots of preparation, we, again, we might just fall down, and we might just have heart attacks, uh, which is just why I believe that Jesus Christ didn't plainly tell Peter this whole plan with Cornelius. Because remember, as I've said, stated already, Jews consider Gentiles unclean. And to even go to anything or touch anything that was unclean was, had been forbidden uh, animals-wise. Now, I'll talk about how, what God looked at this earlier, but animals-wise, which is how the Jews looked at these people, the Gentiles of the world, like unclean, rotten, filthy animals. This was like way outside Peter's jurisdiction. He's not I'm doing that. No way. I really don't believe, had God prepared Peter for this months and years before, I don't believe that Peter would have been able to take what God was trying to tell him. The vision, the vision wasn't pertaining to animals now. The vision and what God was about to do in this huge plan was that he was about to open up salvation, as I've already mentioned, to the Gentile peoples of the world as a whole. And, and obviously, we know this from Scripture. Okay, Peter was a fisherman. Okay? Which means that fishermen, tanners, well, you know, they, they really weren't like great scholars, right? I mean, they loved God, but they really weren't like great scholars because God laid out this plan roughly about 500 years before Peter ever lived in Isaiah 49, 5 and 6, right? But Peter, again, not being a scholar, didn't really realize this. But remember here, look, if you, if you doubt, go to Isaiah 49, 5, and 6, and that's about 500 years before Peter or Christ were ever born, and we read God say this according to the old, you know, in the Old Testament of the New. And, and now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Well, he's talking about the suffering servant, the Messiah that he was going to send, to bring Jacob back to him. That's what the Messiah was going to do. Bring Israel back so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Speaking of, this would be Jesus the Christ, but of course we didn't have his name then. Verse 6. Indeed, he says, it is, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant and raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, God already laid down this plan that he was going to bring salvation through his servant through the whole world. But again, Peter wasn't a scholar, right? And I'm sure even the Jews that were scholars, when they'd read this over, they probably kind of rejected it because they were like, well, that can't be. Oh, Isaiah must have been, you know, I don't know. He, somebody else must have grabbed the pen or something. Because Gentiles, they're unclean. They're, they're filthy. They're, they're disgusting. Yet... Even though God had these plans 
the Jews, even the Messianic Jews or Christians, thought the eternal plan of salvation was like a Jewish-only plan, right? Like a club, right? The club for this, or club for men only, or club for women only. Yeah, salvation, not the, that's a Jewish club for salvation only, guys. Yeah, come on, Jews. But they were so wrong. And, and, and again, thanks be to God that, that, that they were wrong, because for me, I'm a Gentile, and God brought salvation to me and, and all my Gentile friends out there. All right, moving on. Uh, read the rest of verses 17 through 20. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius made in, had made inquire for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So the Gentile men had, had finally made it. And while Peter was still confused about the vision, uh, they are now at Simon the Tanner's house, and again, in front of a gate in front of his house. Notice they didn't even come to the front door of his house. Notice they stood at like the gate, and I'm guessing this was maybe some type of like fence that how we have to this day, how we have kind of fences in the front of our houses. They actually stood at the gate and they called up to the house. They didn't even walk inside the gate and knock on the front door. Notice that? That's something key God showed me in that. And what that shows me is, is Jews and Gentiles didn't really hang out because of the Jewish attitude toward people, right? Um, and, and verse 18, and, and they called and they asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And so they basically kind of in a funny way, hey, can Peter come out and play, right? Come on, come on, Peter. Meanwhile, verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, he, he's still clueless, right? He, he's still clueless and the men are standing down there waiting for him. Jesus can, or Peter, can Peter come out and play? Peter, well, what is going on, Lord? I don't understand. Well, he's still in a stupor. Verse 19, the Spirit says to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Verse 20, Arise, therefore, go down and go with them. And hey, doubt nothing. Don't, don't doubt them. Just, just go with them. Now, God told him that before Peter actually knew that they were Gentiles. That, that's, that's very important because God, God knew a Jewish stance toward other people. And he, hey, don't doubt them. I'm just telling them beforehand, don't doubt them, just go with them, for I have sent them. Now, now, Christians, if, if God's telling you something, and he's like, and I've done this, and you better do what I say, that's hands down, you better be like, okay, Lord, yes, Daddy. And so Peter, as a good God and Christ-fearing man, look at what he does in verses 21 to 23. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, and they're probably still standing outside the gate. And, and Peter says to them, Yes, I'm he of whom you seek. For what reason have you come? Uh, the moment he saw these men, he didn't even have to talk to them. The moment he saw them, he knew that they weren't Jewish. How would you say? Oh, that's Pastor Ed. How could he? Well, understand, <laughs> Romans, Gentiles, they didn't dress like Jews. They didn't have the Jewish locks. They weren't maybe quite as short. Jewish people have always kind of been on the, on the shorter side. Peter knew right away that these guys were not Jewish right away immediately. So he's probably kind of piecing this all together in his mind. God says, okay, go with them. Don't doubt them. But Lord, they're Gentiles. Lord, I'm doubting. Lord, what's going on here, right? Uh, when, when, <laughs> and, and they said to him, verse 22, Cornelius the centurion, right? The moment they said this, then he knew for sure, wow, the, the, uh, there was no centurion Jewish men. Okay? All centurions were Gentiles. So he knew right then and there when they said, Cornelius, uh, uh, the, the, the centurion has sent us. They were, oh, uh, these guys are, uh, Lord, what are you doing to me here? I can see Peter, right? And so then they go on to build up their master. L look at how they go on to build up their master, verse 22. And they tell Peter, he's a just man. 
one who fears God, that would have been Jehovah, they would have used that word Jehovah, and has a good reputation amongst all the nation of the Jews. Notice they were kind of like building Cornelius up. Why would they have wanted to do that? Well, because they didn't want to get their Gentile butts kicked out of that Jewish house. They were like, hey, we better build them up. This guy, you know, how we know what Jews think of us. And, and Gentiles really didn't like them because of it, right? So he goes on, and they go on to say that he built him up. He was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Uh, the icing on the cake, right? We want you to come. We, Lord, we're, we're trying. We're going to try. Our master, see, he saw this angel, right? They were really trying hard to hope that Peter would actually welcome them and actually come with them. Because, again, completely unheard of, a, a Gentile going to get a Jew, and then the Jew actually going with the Gentile? It, it's just like, forget it. It just didn't happen. Uh, verse 23, then he, Peter, invited them in and lodged them. Uh, so because of God preparing Peter for their coming and his responsibility to obey God, right in the moment, I mind you, for, for real Christians, obey God. Guys, understand that. You can't obey God unless you're a Christian because you're caught in sin. You're stuck in sin. But real Christians, if you've really been born again, then you obey God. And Peter obeyed God here. So Peter accepts them, shows them no prejudice. He lets them come in. And, and, and let me tell you, again, this was a huge step for a Gentile to welcome an unclean, remember that term, uh, a forbidden, disgusting animal to come in his house. Because that's how Jews thought of Gentiles. Disgusting, filthy, forbidden animals. They, I doubt they even thought of them as people. Literally, this was unheard of by the time of Jesus' culture. Look at the last part of verse 23. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So God says, go. Peter says, I don't understand, Lord. It is blowing my mind. I'm going to go because real Christians obey God. And he goes and he does something just absolutely, completely unheard of, and, and he obeys God. Wow. That, that's big. That's huge. The next day after they meet Peter and tell him of Cornelius because they, they stayed the night there, right? So probably all night long they were talking because when it says they lodged there, that meant they stayed the night. They, lead, they leave Joppa, look at the first part of verse 24, and the following day. That would be the day after the day they left. They entered Caesarea. For Caesarea from Joppa was about a 40-mile trip on foot, or even if they had some animals, it would have been about a day and a half journey. So it would have been you know, basically a two-day journey. The rest of verse 24, look at what Cornelius has been doing as he waited. Look at what Cornelius, how he's been preparing himself for the roughly four to five days since he's been waiting for his servants to go get Peter. Uh, look at verse 24 there. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. What a wonderful man of God. Even though he wasn't a Christian, even though he wasn't even a Jew, he had such a beautiful heart toward Jehovah. <laughs> wow. I mean, he get, goes out, he, he gets all of, he gets his family members, he gets his, his friends, he gets his close relatives, and what does he do? He calls them together to hear this word that God had said, hey, go call Peter, this, this Jewish guy, and he's going to come and he's going to tell you all that you need to know. That is 
absolutely awesome. This guy really loved God Almighty. Even again, though, he wasn't a Jew and he didn't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This, not even, this guy's not even a born-again Christian. And, and, and his zeal for the Lord and what he shows us, what he does here, his zeal for the Lord. Listen, he's not even a religious Jew. Plus, uh, Jew, Jews considered him a, a Roman dog, as even, uh, uh, and as even for today, this man, in our culture today, <laughs> think of this. In our culture today, this guy, what this guy does, I, first of all, I've never seen it in all my evangelical uh, outreaches. I've never seen somebody do something like this. This guy loves God so much, he outshines the roughly 90% of all those whom I who have professed themselves to be Christians to me today in America. Plus, he outshines any practically almost 90% of all Jews in the Bible that we see in the Bible. This guy's love for God is just so wonderful and so pure and so honest. And it just, it just wow, it just blew me away when I saw what Cornelius had done. Good for him. Shame on all those who profess to be godly. And yet they live like the devil. This guy was considered basically an unclean, worthless piece of junk, piece of crap. Yet this guy, who's considered the bottom of the rung, loves God more than those who even profess to love God and even were in charge of the religion of God. Wow! Look at how Cornelius, the zealous lover of God, I could have almost named the sermon that, right? Look at how Cornelius, the zealous lover of God, responds to Peter when he walks in the door. The man whom God said, hey, go and get this guy, and he's going to tell you and obey his words. God thinks, man, this guy's sending me a God. Right? I'll just obey his words, right? Look at verse 25. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him. He fell down at his feet, and he worshipped him. Cornelius highly exalts Peter, so much so, that he actually falls down and worships him. He is so ready to serve and love God wholly. You got to understand, he, he wasn't just half, he wasn't in this for a half heart. This guy had a whole heart towards serving God for his life. And this is what we see even when Peter comes in, he falls down and he worships him. Now, I know what he did was wrong. But let's just think about this for a moment. I know what he did was wrong. For God's word says that we're to worship him and him alone. But, 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 but. Remember this guy was a Roman. And really, all he knew in his life was how he had seen his family and his nation and his fellow Roman worshipers worship their little man-made statues. Because that's what Rome would do for their little for their gods. They would make these little wooden, you know, statue, you know, statuarines. They'd make these little ceramic statues of their false gods, and then they would get on their knees and they would pay homage to these little statues. And this is all he'd ever seen. For this is the way that they serve their gods. Now, although he didn't serve his gods that way, he saw the way they served their gods. So he's just doing the best he knew how to do. He wasn't raised to know all the right ways to follow God Almighty. He wasn't raised to be a Christian, just like me. And even though it was evil for him to do what he just did, we must give him grace and understanding, because we must understand that he didn't know. He was kind of in ignorance. And we're, the Bible says we're really only held accountable for the light that we have. When I think of myself, when I first became a Christian, I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know all the fancy prayers that these guys prayed in church. I didn't know how you acted in church. I just know that, hey, I love Jesus. 
right? So I'm sure I did a lot of things that would be offensive to me now, now that I'm almost 18 years in the faith and I know what the Bible says and this, that, and the other thing. But this guy here, we must give him grace as God gave me grace and as Peter gave him grace. Of course, him not being a Jew, he wouldn't have responded like he did to the, you know, to the Samaritan who was more like a Jew. Look at verse 26. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. Peter wasn't mad at him. Peter wasn't upset with, oh, you, what are you doing? Oh, you're cursed be upon you, Gentile dog. Peter was loving. Peter had grace on him. And we also, Christians, we also must have grace on those that are kind of newer to the fold or kind of coming back into the fold. We also must have grace on them and love them. Because basically the translation there from Peter to Cornelius, lovingly, not harshly, hey, Cornelius, hey, hey, Worship's for God alone, man. Hey, not for me. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. And Scripture doesn't say that Cornelius ever did it again, so he repented, and, and so we're good. Praise God, he learned. And so that's, that's what we want, right? And that's what we hope for. Uh, so now that Peter was there, next he look at verses 27 on. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Verse 28, then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or go to one of another nation. Remember I said earlier Jews and Gentiles didn't hang out, and remember how I said earlier that I would that the word unclean meant that both men and women, that, excuse me, that the word unclean meant that both the women, the woman and her impurity and the pig or the swine were like a completely disgusting and completely off limits for a Jew. For a Jew that was clean, right? Not even allowing pigs inside their borders. Basically, unclean animals and things uh, like them were abhorrent to the Jews. This is what they were. They put them away. They weren't in the camp. If a man had made himself uh, impure with a woman or unclean with a woman in the Jewish camp and he laid with her during her customary impurity, he was not even allowed. He had to go, uh, he had to go away or he had to s- stay away from the camp until he was, the night came. Then he was supposed to wash himself with water and then he could come back in. Uh, uh, an unclean thing to the Jew was something that they put away. They made it disgusting. They made it, they looked down upon it. They, they looked on it like it was a piece of trash. Well, here we go, right here. Peter says that it wasn't even lawful for a Jewish man to keep company with or go into one of another nation. Hey, Jews, we look down on people that aren't Jewish. You're like a pig to us. You're a swine. You're basically what people, Peter just told him here, you're a disgusting thing to the Jews. You disgusting, filth, vermin, swine. This is what Peter said to Cornelius and his whole household just now. This is what we see here. What is God teaching us here? What did God show us here? Throughout this whole section of Scripture, well, under the Old Covenant, God had said that these people, the Jews, were not supposed to hang out with the unholy, sinful Gentiles of the unholy, sinful, uncircumcised. Because that was what God called the Gentiles in the Old Testament. He called them uncircumcised. Never once, well, I'm not going to jump on it, in, in the context of to have basically kids with them. 
Remember, God forbid, going into the lands, these, these, these Gentiles were making their kids pass through fire and, and basically set, sacrificing this and the other thing and committing all these unholy abominations and worshiping false gods and, and, and very ungodly and unholy in and, and, and terrible ways. And so God didn't want them to go in and have kids with them. Right? They weren't supposed to go and have, you know, Jew wasn't supposed to mix with a Gentile and, and having, uh, having kids together. And they weren't supposed to go in and do evil things with them, the evil things that they did. And then they weren't supposed to, what Solomon broke down and did, they weren't supposed to worship their false gods with them. But did you catch the context that God gave that command? God, he was speaking of the kinds of his kids mingling with the Gentiles, those that were horribly steeped in doing the heinous and holy and ungodly things that God hated, not just the regular, generally law-abiding, uncircumcised Gentile, because those were those, they had those in, in the old time in the old world too. Uh, were, not everybody was an absolute pagan sacrificing their kid to their God Gentile. That wasn't everybody, okay? That was just a certain sum. Right? And the reason I know that the contextual meaning I just gave you is correct, and you can look it up in the Bible because you may be going, wait a minute, Pastor, Ed, that doesn't sound right. Well, I got proof. It's okay, I got proof. The reason I know that context is right is the same one that God gave through Paul for Christians with the evil unbeliever for our time now, right? Remember God said through Paul, Christians don't have fellowship with the people of the world. He didn't say, treat the people of the world as an unclean animal and an unclean, impure thing and don't have anything to do with them. Notice God said to Paul, we weren't supposed to have fellowship with an unbeliever or someone that wasn't a Christian. That meant going with them, doing the things that they do, hanging out with them, doing the unholies and doing the evil things that he said not to do, right? God never said in the Old Testament not once that no Jewish person could know or associate with a Gentile person ever under any circumstances. The Jews were not supposed to look at the Gentiles as if they were some unholy, un, unholy demon dog that they weren't supposed to touch or even look upon. Uh, and that's because several times a God allowed the uncircumcised in the Old Testament to convert to the Jewish fold of God's religion. We know that, right? We know that in the scripture. We see Rahab. We see Rahab, the, the prostitute from Jericho, right? We have Ruth, Ruth and Naomi, remember? And then we have Balaam of Beor, even though he turned south on God, he still was a Gentile, but he was a lover of God, and God spoke with him, even like he did his own kids. And then we have the Queen of Sheba coming to Israel to talk to Solomon. And, and although I know Solomon wasn't the super, most super religious holy guy, keeping all the commandments of God. We know at the time that the Queen of Sheba came, he was still kind of in his early days, and he still was kind of really trying to follow God. And the other reason I know that God never made all Gentiles unlawful to be around and associate with and make unclean, remember that context of a nasty, disgusting pig, well, period at the end was because God never even once, now get this, this is going to blow your mind. And yes, I absolutely did this research. Not even once out of the 197 times that the word unclean or uncleanness or uncleanliness or however God used the word, the root word of unclean, 197 times that word was used in the Old Testament, not once did God ever say a Gentile was unclean. 
Not even one out of the 197 in the old context, or the, in the context of the Old Testament scripture. Uh, context again as swine or a woman in her impurity. Uh, I, I kid you not. Like a, God never said, look upon the Gentiles as a disgusting, vile piece of crap, garbage piece of thing you should never associate with. God called the Gentiles the uncircumcised, but he never called them unclean. Guess who God did call unclean? I love this. God opened my eyes to this. I was like, wow, Lord, that's awesome. Guess who God did call unclean more times than I bothered to count? His own people, the Jews. And the reason he did was because they would be bull-faced sinning before him or they'd be committing some heinous evil sin of disobedience, doing the things that he commanded his kids not to do. That's when he would call them unclean. And he called them uncleans again more times than I'd ever wished to. I, I, the study on that one would be like, wow, that many? Oh my gosh, right? Uh, but sadly, the Jews as a whole, probably read by the, led by their religious leaders, these hypocrites, grossly misled the Jewish people to make a tradition, making all Gentiles unclean, like a nasty, disgusting pig. That's how they were supposed to look down at them. Almost like how uh, Hitler looked down at the Jews. Uh, and, and, and right now even. Okay, and this is a true thing. There's actually propaganda in, in, in Islamic countries. Muslims look upon Jews as, as if they're roaches. Literally. Vermin that can be stepped on and squashed, and we don't even have to feel sorry for them because you know what? They're just nasty, filthy, garbage-eating roaches anyway. And that's how the religious leaders had trained the Jews to look down at Gentiles. Now, and, and now think of this, because if we got to play this out, and God really did call all Gentiles unclean, not just those that were heinously caught in the sins that God hated, Think of this, if God had forbid Jews to associate with all Gentiles and made all Gentiles unlawful to be around or associate with, as Peter said that Cornelius here in Acts 10 and his household were, like the hated and despised swine, think of Rahab the prostitute in Jericho. Just think of that. She, even being a Gentile, at the time of her conversion, was a prostitute, yet... This so-called unclean swine, this, this roach of the Jewish society, was in the lineage of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, how about that? That's right. You can go look it up. Just look in the genealogies. That's right. They used Rahab. God used Rahab, the converted filthy swine, the way the Jews looked at him, in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So in the grandparents and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents of Jesus Christ, Rahab, this so-called unclean, dirty, filthy, vermin swine of a, of a Gentile, was in the lineage of the Savior of the world. Wow. Uh, does Peter finally get it? Does Peter finally understand that God loves everyone? even the Gentiles, and that God always really, that he always loved the Gentiles, and that they are not unclean, not all of them, that is, right? I mean, the ones that were steeped in, in mysticism and worshiping false gods and sacrificing their kids, well, yeah, they would have been unclean, just like the Jews that bull-faced sin before God. He said, you're unclean before me. But does he finally get it? Does he finally get that it's, it's okay to be around and we don't have to think of these, 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 you know, these, these 
Gentiles, his filthy vermin. Does he finally understand the vision of the sheet and the unclean animals in it? Look at the rest of verse 28 after his commitment or after his comment of being unlawful to be around all Gentiles. But God has shown me, notice it was past tense, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And because of God showing him that, look at verse 29, our last verse of the day. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for, and I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? I kind of believe that God put it all together for him when he went and talked with Cornelius' servants at the gate by what they told him, right? He's a just man. He fears God, and he does good in all the Jewish people, and he's got a good rapport, and he's a, you know, he's a godly man, right? But he doesn't say anything about it there because I think he was probably, you know, kind of like he had got the inkling, but he wasn't kind of like, oh, I got it all. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, 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 God, because he was still kind of like, I'm going to see where God's taking this. I'm not really quite sure where God's taking this. But, but now that he's here and he sees this Cornelius, this, this, this zealous lover of God, fall down before him, call his whole household and, and all and his friends together. I mean, this guy loved God. And, and Peter saw this. And now he's like, wow, okay. Uh, but again, remember, God didn't share or reveal that to him until after God had prepared his heart. And at that, it was right before and in the midst of the actual event, not even when Peter first came to be saved. Did Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ did, on the other hand, mention it, remember? He did try to mention it to, to Peter and the other disciples. And in John 10, 16, remember, he, Jesus said this, and, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, meaning this fold would have been the Jews, Right? And, and so he was trying to talk to them about it then, but they really just didn't get it. Right? He goes, Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. But remember, he didn't get it then because his heart was tainted. It was darkened and poisoned toward the non-Jewish Gentile peoples. I, I still remember one sermon I taught years ago now, and it was a sermon about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. We don't really realize how poisonous, and I think I even, at this moment here, I think I even right now even just kind of just realized how deadly and how poisonous religious teachings can really be. And you think, wow, you didn't get it before now? I mean, I, I kind of did, but now as I look at it here, I look at how Peter thought of these Gentile people and how God looked at these Gentile people, you know, as a whole, instead of an in, in individualistic, not just as a whole, this filthy, terrible people. And I think, wow, how poisonous can religious teachings really poison our minds? Mm -hmm. We really, really, really must be careful at who we listen to. So his heart was darkened, tainted, and poisoned uh, toward the non-Jewish Gentiles, thinking that God and, and, and even that, uh, thinking that God and even that they should consider them like an unclean swine, right? That even if a Jew touched one, would make themselves cut off from God. But he did not receive what Jesus Christ said in John 10. It was like it went right over his head, just like the vision. What? I don't understand. I don't, I don't do that. And so God put it all together for him when he was finally ready. What did God really do in this account with Peter? Even setting the standard for all God's kids and all those that were saved or that will get saved until the end of time. What did God really do in this account? I'm going to tell you what he did right now. And this is powerful. This is, this is a power-packed punch, what God did here really with Peter. 
He taught Peter, and maybe someone listening out there today who really didn't know this, a very hard lesson in just a moment, didn't he? He really took Peter and all of us to the school of hard knocks today, didn't he? He really did. He taught us the title. He taught us that we as Christians should not call anyone unclean. We shouldn't call anyone a filthy, vermin, terrible, rotten, filthy name. We shouldn't call people whores. We shouldn't call people prostitutes or sluts or this bag or that bag. He's, he, that's what he taught us. That's one of the things that he taught us here, that we shouldn't call anyone a filthy piece of trash. Well, I could just step on them there and they don't matter. That's one of the things that he taught us here. Uh, what does that mean? God, has, God taught us that he truly loves and cares for all humanity so that we should also... That's, that's one of the things he taught us here. And, and treat them like we actually love them because we should and not like a disease. That's one of the things God taught Christians here because he taught to Peter. God taught us that he doesn't hate anyone and that we should not either. We shouldn't hate anybody. God, God says, those who follow, I'm love. If you love me, you should be love. That's one thing that God taught us here in this section of Scripture. God taught us that He's not prejudiced. <laughs> and we shouldn't be prejudiced either as Jesus Christ's followers. God taught us today that we should treat all others with respect and dignity, even though they're not God's saved children. Respect. Lovingly. Do all things with respect. And do all things in love. And God taught us today that Although he doesn't want us to have fellowship or to hang out and do the things that really sinful people that aren't Christians do and live in the sinful ways like they do uh, with those that are lost, he doesn't want any of his kids to live with any kind of attitude of racial, spiritual, or cultural supremacy over others. Uh-uh. He doesn't want to live he doesn't want us to live with any self-righteousness or any uprightness, oh, I'm better than everybody else because, you know, I love Jesus. He says no. He doesn't want us to treat any person on the planet, no matter whether they're the worst sinner to, to, the, to the sinner that's maybe just a sinner and they, they've never been a heinous sinner before God, but they're still lost in their sins because they're apart from Christ. But he doesn't want us to treat any person on earth with these kind of lifted up, exalted, I'm better than you attitudes. He just doesn't. Uh, the same subject came up between a very self-righteous lawyer, probably a Pharisee, and he wanted to test Christ and, and justify himself in regards to who God Almighty was talking about when he gave Leviticus 19.18, where God said this, You shall take no vengeance, or, or you shall take no vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And in that context, we can read that really God is saying to those that are only Jews, right, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. So, you know, this guy's listening to Jesus. And he's probably listened to how Jesus said, love everybody and, and you know what, don't treat people like pieces of dirt and pieces of trash and like unholy swine. And so this guy stands up and, and he questions Christ and he tests him because he wants to know, what's this guy, is this guy on the level or not? Because you know what, I, I don't know what he's saying. But then he says, who is my neighbor? Luke 10, 29. 
Who is my neighbor, Jesus? Is it just my Jewish neighbor? Is it just my Jewish, my Jewish countrymen? Or, you know, who are you saying it is? Well, Jesus Christ schooled this young man with a parable about a Jewish man who was hurt really badly by some bandits and robbed him totally. He was a Jewish man, leaving him half dead, right? And about some religious leaders, specifically a Levite and a priest, who, who these guys, these guys should have been the head of love right? These guys were the leaders of the Jewish people. And God says, I want my leaders. You're supposed to be my example to all other people, right? So my leaders, you better live in love like I want you to live, you know, because that I, I'm a love, right? I, I am love and you know, you better, and you are the leaders, right? So this, this priest and this Levite in Jesus' story, in Jesus' account here, should have been the ones to help the most, right? They should have been ministers to all, serving all. Uh, because, but, but sadly, they weren't that way. And Jesus was given the parable against what he saw of his day, the religious leaders of his day, who in the story, plus what he saw, they thought they were better than everybody else. Oh, I'm exalted. I'm a priest. I'm a Levite. I'm, I'm, I'm somebody special for God. Again, the same people that we looked at, an example of today's sermon, whom taught Peter with their poisonous teachings that all Gentiles, no matter what they did, were pieces of dirt and trash and Scum, the scum of the earth, not even to be touched or ever to associated with. And he says this, people that thought that God Almighty said that Gentiles, right, were swine type of people with no respect and no love. And these religious people, this Levite and this priest, had the attitude of, we're better than everybody else, even this poor brother of ours who, who's not perfect. You see, they, 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 oh, he was bleeding. Oh, well, under the Levitical law, if you touched blood, well, you, you became unclean. So they, what did they do? Well, Jesus records, he says, they passed by on the other side. They showed the man no mercy. Yes, he was bleeding. And, and, and weren't they willing to become unclean for just a day to help somebody that was near death? Well, Jesus said they weren't. They passed by on the other side. Yet, a certain very hated by the Jews, Samaritan man, because the Jews hated Samaritans, Samaritan hated Jews, he came upon this man, this Jewish man, and he helped take care of him. And Jesus closes this to this lawyer man, this Pharisee, I believe, with this question, Luke 10, 36, 37. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? 37, and he said, well, you showed him mercy. So who was it then? The hated Samaritan. The hated Samaritan is the one that, that, that showed the man mercy. And what did Jesus say? Who, who's my neighbor? Go and do likewise. So even your hated rival helped you. I want you to go love and... Help those that you hate too. Love those and help those whom you are even inclined to hate. You hateful people. And he, he really schooled this man. Christians, God Almighty taught us today, love toward all others in actions and words and deeds and, and, not just in an and, and not with an exalted attitude towards them like we are better than them somehow just because we're God's spiritual children. Christians, are you loving others today? Or, or do you have a prideful attitude towards them because you are Christians and on God's side and God's spiritual children and they're not? Or are you humble and loving towards, towards them in all your actions and in all your ways and in the ways that God says that we ought to love others? And in that love and humility, are you sharing and shining Jesus Christ and his love with them and to them? Because that's really what it boils down to. 
if you're loving them and you're loving them like God said that we're supposed to love them, we're supposed to not look down on them. We're supposed to not look at them like they're terrible, horrible, heinous people and disgusting that we shouldn't even touch or talk to or, or, you know, oh, rotten, no goods. And we should be loving them and we should be sharing Christ with them. That's what God wanted. This is what God wants from his people. Do you call yourself and consider yourself saved, uh, but you treat the not saved like they're unclean Jewish swine of people? You're wrong. You're wrong if you do. Because Jesus Christ said we're supposed to love. Maybe you say today, well, I'm not a Christian. Uh, You know what? I love God. I really, you know what? I really believe in and I really love God. Maybe you kind of think of yourself and you think of yourself maybe like this Cornelius fellow we read about in the Bible today. You have a love for God and you try with all your heart to live morally right before Him by your good works and your actions. And you truly desire to please Him by praying and being generous toward others. Yet all you know of God is that He is your Creator, the one who made everything. And you just desire to please Him. And you believe in Him with all your heart. Well, the good news for you today is that you've not suppressed the truth of God the Creator and made Him like yourself or some idol. And praise God for that, really. Praise God for that. But although I'm so glad for you in this aspect, I must remind you that this is not the end of the knowledge of this Creator God. It is just the beginning. He doesn't want you to stop there. And the main two reasons are, number one, this knowledge of God that you have, this knowledge of God will never give you a personal relationship with Him. It will never allow you to know Him personally like I know Him. And, And number two, this knowledge of God that you have will not save your soul from God's wrath and hellfire when you die. You must go to the next level for, you see, just like with Cornelius in our text, although God was pleased that he worshiped him, prayed all the time, was generous with the people, God Almighty told him that he needed Peter to give him more and the more knowledge, the saving knowledge of God, the knowledge that we'll read of that Peter brings Cornelius and his household next week in our last section of Scripture for Acts chapter 10. What is the knowledge of God that Cornelius had to have a relationship with him and be saved for all eternity and, 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 and apart from you know, God in hell? What was that knowledge? When Peter opens his mouth to Cornelius and his household and begins to preach this complete knowledge of God Almighty, he says this, Acts 10, 36, The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace, that would mean all peace, eternal, right now, peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. We look to Acts 4.12. Peter says this in another sermon. Nor is there salvation in any other. (laughs) Did you get that? There's no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and he's speaking of Jesus Christ in that whole sermon. See, you cannot come to God Almighty unless you go through Jesus Christ first, for he was and is God's only plan of salvation and the only way you can truly have a relationship with God Almighty. If you desire this knowledge of Jesus Christ, God's only plan of salvation, please ask and seek God for this relationship and ask him to reveal Jesus Christ to you so that you can have a saving relationship with God, that the one that he wants you to have a complete and full knowledge of God, the one that'll bring you peace to your weary soul. Let's pray. 
God, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your great love. Lord God, for nobody loves like you, Lord God, but we ought to, Lord, if we're yours already and we belong to you through Jesus Christ, Lord God, we ought to love like you. Lord God, and that's how we know, really, Lord, your word says, how do we know those that are real? Well, they love. Lord God, so those that are loving, well, in, in, in your way, loving, Lord God, not just their own type of love, but those who love like Jesus Christ loved, Lord God, we know that they are from you. So, Lord, thank you, Lord God, that this clear message, Lord, that, that real Christians aren't supposed to treat anybody with malice and hatred and like vermin and, and like pieces of trash and calling them names. And, 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 and Lord God, we're supposed to love them and we're supposed to shine the light of Jesus Christ toward them, Lord God. Not hate them, Lord God. Not say hateful things toward them, Lord God. We're supposed to do all things with gentleness and respect. God, thank you so much for this clear message, Lord God, that you gave to Peter, Lord God, and so giving to all your children of all time, Lord God, that we're not supposed to call anyone unclean. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this message, Lord. And I, and I do pray that you'd help us to do that, Lord God. For it's, it's not easy to love even our own Christian brethren sometimes, Lord God, let alone those that don't belong to you. So, Lord, just help us to be more loving like you in every aspect of our lives, Lord God. And, Lord, when, when we don't have something nice to say or we're upset about something, Lord, may we not say anything and hold our tongue and walk away and just talk to you about it, Lord God. But come back to them with a fresh face of your insight and your aspect of love. And, and God, for those out there that are listening to this message, Lord, that may just believe in you, God, but they, and they really love you and they really desire to know you, Lord, please give them that revelation of Jesus Christ, Lord God. For, Lord, there is there's no other salvation. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man come to the Father but by me. Lord, and, and that's true, and I don't care where you're from or where they're from or where, where they belong or what country they were born in or if they've ever, say they've ever heard of Jesus Christ, Lord, you can make a way if they really love you and they really seek your face for your saving way. So please, God, reveal yourself to them. Reveal to them the one way, God. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.